wherever you guys are. Good morning. I am Bruce Chelta at Powell Presbyterian Church, and I greet you again this morning in this way. Uh, my thanks again to Neely and Angel Hamilton, and, and uh, Gabe is here as well as we are recording things. Diane is with us this morning, and, uh, and I want to uh, remind you that uh, we're trying to get uh, the word out uh, as many ways as we can here. Uh, so we're doing it this way. Diane is working on uh, perhaps getting video on our website, uh, but we certainly have the audio on the website. We have it through uh, in, in um, podcast form on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. And so there are many different ways uh, that you can access uh, these sermons, and we hope to uh, do this. Um, we don't know how much longer this is going to last, and uh, so we're going to have to kind of be creative as we go along with this, and uh, Erica and I have talked about ways of, of interacting online, maybe coming up with some new ideas uh, through the week, and uh, so we will continue to keep you informed of things. Uh, everything is still suspended uh, in the meantime. I have had a couple of conversations with people who have uh, asked about their giving, their tithes and their offerings, which is uh, extremely admirable with everything going on and, and all the confusion that they would uh, still think of that. Uh, and what I will do there is refer you to John. Eventually John's going to uh, get all of that, so I'll refer you to him. Now, if you can talk to me if you want, and, and I can uh, work uh, to, to get things to John there, but, uh, but I will uh, just let you know if, if you have questions about that or how you can do that, uh, you can speak with John or, or me. Uh, and then also, before I get started on a, kind of a fun note, uh, is on Thursday evening I was here somewhat late and uh, there was a knock at the side door that at first I tried to ignore, but he knocked a second time, so I went out there and it was uh, Reverend Bill Thrillkill, who I had never met before. Uh, and many of uh, the people who have been members for a long time uh, remember Bill. And uh, he stopped by, uh, wanted to talk, introduce himself. Uh, so we got to talk for a while. Uh, we were keeping our distance in the parking lot out there. It may have looked like we were having an argument, but uh, it was actually quite cordial and a lot of fun. Uh, but Bill and his wife were there, and Erica happened to stop by, so uh, the four of us had a chance to talk for a while, and they wanted me to make sure that I passed along their greetings to you. Uh, we talked about a lot of you, actually. Um, uh, they remember you very fondly and, uh, and wanted to pass along their love and their greetings to you. So it was fun to see uh, Reverend Thrillkill, and Erica and I were trying to... Uh, uh, talk them into when all this settles down and we can meet again to come back on some Sunday morning when uh, we can all uh, worship together. So, uh, so we'll see, but it was fun and they pass along their greetings uh, to you. And so uh, before we get started, uh, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that we have this technology that even though 
uh, we can't meet together physically, uh, there is a way that we can communicate and actually many ways that we can communicate. And, and so we thank you for that. We do pray for uh, healthcare workers and, and all of those who have been affected uh, by uh, this virus and, and we continue to pray for leaders and lawmakers that they will um, come up with good plans and uh, that doctors will be able to figure this all out, that, that we can uh, come together and worship as a family uh, but this is our situation now. You know it's uh, better than anyone. And so we ask that you will work in this way, uh, speaking to our hearts as we look into your word, that we may learn more of you and glorify you through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so uh, if you will, turn to Genesis chapter 48, and we will continue on uh, and then we're going to take a break uh, from Genesis for the next couple of weeks, especially. Uh, we have Palm Sunday coming up, and then there's Easter. And while we don't know exactly what that's going to look like as far as being able to meet together, uh, we're certainly going to break for that. And we may not come back to the end of Genesis for a while. Uh, I had mentioned a few weeks ago I was on plan B as far as what we were going to do after Easter, uh, but now I'm down to plan C, which is basically to invent a plan D. Uh, I'm not quite sure exactly how this is all going to work. There's a lot of uh, questions right now, but, uh, but we will take a break from Genesis, at least for a couple of weeks uh, after uh, we look at this chapter. We've been uh, it's, it's been eventually, uh, an eventful uh, series uh, as we've gone through this with the life of Jacob and, and then Joseph. Um, uh, Joseph has saved uh, Egypt uh, and, and many others, including Israel uh, or, or the land of Canaan, uh, because he had gathered up so much food in, in the time where there was plenty and he knew that this famine was coming and and he's had two sons in the meantime. We haven't uh, heard about them yet, uh, but he uh, married uh, an Egyptian woman. Actually, she was the daughter of an Egyptian uh, uh, priest and uh, married her when he was promoted by Pharaoh to second in charge. And, and they have two sons at this point. Uh, they may have more later, uh, but these two sons uh, will become part of the story now in the life of Jacob and Joseph. And as we look at this passage, we're going to jump around a little bit within it, but let's first take a look at Genesis chapter 48. I will read beginning at verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring and after, or after you for an everlasting possession. 
And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came to Paddan, to my, to, uh, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. And he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. The word of the Lord. Well, when we look at this passage, this chapter, it's one that, that often gets overlooked. Now, there's many echoes of previous events 
in here, uh, and uh, the, the younger being blessed rather than the older, and, and there's many other things we could draw into it. I'm not going to mention all of those things, but I do want to look at this passage, which I often feel is somewhat underappreciated. And there's good reason for that. There's been so much going on, a lot of drama in the life of Jacob. Uh, he had a twin brother, Esau, and those two literally fought in the womb. And when they came out, it got no better. They were always competing uh, with each other. And, and Jacob uh, tricked uh, uh, Esau out of the, the birthright and, and the blessing. And, and Jacob had issues with his father-in-law, ended up uh, being tricked into marrying the wrong girl, and, uh, but then finally uh, did marry the, the one that he really did love. And, and uh, then uh, his father-in-law tried to cheat him out of the good, uh, the cattle of the herd. And, and so Jacob had to find a way to outsmart his father-in-law. And then he fought with, with an angel of the Lord, who as we looked at that, we realized that was what we call a theophany. It was a, a manifestation of, of God himself, if you will, that, that uh, Jacob had to fight with. Um, and then we had uh, Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers and this famine. And then his brothers come into Egypt after Joseph has been in prison and, and now second in charge. And, and the brothers don't recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them. And there's all this drama that plays out. And then we come to Jacob with his grandsons. And it's almost a little anticlimactic. There's not a lot of drama here, it seems, but there's a lot of significance. In fact, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, that's a, a chapter that talks a lot about uh, what we call the patriarchs. A lot of these men of old, it talks about uh, Noah and Abraham and uh, Isaac and, and uh, Moses, all these great men of faith. And it does mention Jacob. In one verse, it mentions Jacob. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it reads, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship. And that's interesting. All these things that happened in Jacob's life, why would the writer of Hebrews mention this event specifically? This is the one that he points to. Well, one of the things uh, that we have to understand is exactly what's going on here. Is Jacob is adopting these two boys. It's a formal adoption, if you want to put it that way. And Jacob clearly states what he's doing in, in verse 5. When he tells Joseph, your two sons, the ones that were born to you uh, here in Egypt, um, before I came here, they're mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Now, he puts Ephraim before Manasseh. There's a little hint of what's to come because Ephraim is the younger. Manasseh should have been mentioned first, but, but that's a hint of, of what's to come. But notice that he equates them with his two oldest sons. They'll be like Reuben and Simeon, who were his two oldest sons. They're going to be sons to me like those two are. And there's other hints that this is a formal adoption ceremony, if you will. In verse 8, he asks the question, who are these? 
Now, we know that he had bad eyes. We see that in verse 10, that his eyes have grown dim. But we also know that he knows who they are. He said their name back in verse 5. They're Ephraim and Manasseh. He knows who they are. So why is he asking that question? It's part of the, part of the ceremony. They get presented to him. It's part of identifying them. It's part of the ceremony. Think of a, a wedding, if you will. When a pastor is marrying a, 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 a husband and, and his bride, and, and he says the names, do you? And he'll, he'll say the whole name. Take this person, and, and he'll say the whole name. And He's not saying the name so that the people figure out who's actually being married. They already know. That's why they're there. They know uh, who's being married. There, there might be a couple that just stumbled in for a free meal, but you know who's being married. And, and this is the same thing. Who are these? Present them. Because I'm going to adopt them. And then in verse 12, we see that Joseph removed them from his knees. Now, it's not that these boys are, are toddlers. They're most, almost certainly older than that. That he has them sitting on uh, his knees because they need to be there. But, but as R.C. Sproul writes, in the ancient Near East, the knee was symbolic of parental care and by extension, adoption. It's Joseph's way of saying, okay, these, these boys who were part of me on, on my knee, they are now yours. They are now your sons. And then in verse 14, when we see the hands on the head and, and the statement uh, being accompanied by the placement of the hands, that was, that was also a legal transaction type thing in the, nation, or in the ancient Near East. So we see all these uh, things happening. This is a formal adoption that, that Jacob is, is doing as he takes Manasseh and Ephraim. And what we also need to note is that this is not really all that uncommon. Uh, Old Testament scholar uh, Gordon Wenham, he writes that such adoptions within families are well attested in ancient Near Eastern literature. Uh, he, in fact, he's got other documents, and th this very same thing happens. A grandparent will adopt uh, grandchildren. So this is uh, not all that off the wall, and, and Jacob is doing this, adopting these two boys. Now there is an issue that does upset Joseph. And we see that in verse 17. It's the placement of the hands. And when Joseph saw his father uh, laying his right hand on the head of Ephraim, uh, it said it displeased him. And that word is actually a pretty strong word. Uh, that Joseph saw this and his, his brain was screaming, No! This is wrong. This is bad. This is not how this is supposed to be done. And then it said that he took his father's hand, and, and that's also a pretty strong word. He, he was pretty firm in taking his father's hand. He grabbed it. He seized it, uh, however you want to translate that. But he was trying to fix this. And you can kind of feel for Joseph a little bit because he had set this up the right way. In verse 13, how he was so careful to make sure that the right son was, was on Jacob's right and, and then the, the other son was, was on his left and, and he'd set this up and he's trying to be polite and he's trying to be respectful, but in his brain he must be thinking, dad's eyesight has gone bad and he's messing the whole thing up. 
This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how this is set up. The, the younger one's getting uh, the, the preference here. Now, note that they do both get the same blessing throughout. You notice that in verse 20 especially. But with the right hand on Ephraim's head and his name being mentioned first, that's the indication that he will be the more powerful of the two. And it does happen. Later on, in fact, hundreds of years later, it actually happens just as Jacob said it was going to happen, which brings us back to Jacob's faith that we talked about with the writer of, of Hebrews writing about this act of faith. And basically Jacob telling Joseph, this is how God is doing this. Now the old Jacob, of course, he would have wanted to do things his way, and maybe he wanted it this way as well, but Jacob that we see now is saying, no, this is how God is working. This is what God is doing. And it's not going to be for hundreds of years before this actually happens. Jacob has this faith. And look at Jacob's focus throughout this passage. He recounts what God has done. In verse 3, God Almighty appeared and said, I will make you fruitful and, and multiply you. In verse 11, uh, Jacob said, I never expected to see you, and yet God has let me see not only you, but your offspring. He's done even more than I could have ever hoped. But God has done that. Especially in that blessing in verses 15 and 16, and notice by blessing the sons, he actually is blessing Joseph as well. But, but notice uh, the emphasis on God in that. The God before whom my fathers walked. The God who has been my shepherd. The angel of the Lord. And as we mentioned, that's a, a theophany, a, a visual. And, and in, in that case, it was a, a tangible manifestation of God. So basically, God who has redeemed me. And there's that threefold repetition. It was God. It was God. It was God. It's been all of God. God is the one who has been faithful in all of this. And I can count on God. And, and we see Jacob's faith in just recounting what God has done. And a lot of times our faith should lead us to just reflect on God's faithfulness. And a life of faith is one that will say, God is my shepherd. God is my redeemer. God is the one who leads me. And more importantly, and I will trust in God more than anything else, more than anybody else. And I say more importantly because that's what faith does. It leads to action. To be able to sit, especially in these times, and say, God is, is my shepherd, my redeemer. He's the one leading me, and I am going to trust him and look at the outcome of Jacob's faith here. And this, this is why Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, makes mention of this. Because when you think about what Jacob is doing, it's actually staggering. Let's first consider Ephraim and Manasseh and who they are. They're half Egyptian. Their mother is an Egyptian woman. Their father, of course, is Joseph. 
Their dad is second in command of Egypt at this point. So they are basically royalty. In today's vernacular, you could probably call them Prince Ephraim and Prince Manasseh. They're highly respected. They are well cared for. They can have anything they want. These two are definitely the two sitting at the cool kid table during lunch. They are on top of the world. Their dad is second in command of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. So that's who they are. Now let's consider Jacob and his sons that have come from Canaan. Back in chapter 43, Joseph uh, threw a meal and his, his brothers were there. They didn't know who Joseph was yet, but, but Joseph had this meal and, and he was eating, his brothers, and there were some other Egyptians there. And in a verse, or chapter 43, verse 32, it reads like this. They served him, that's Joseph, by himself, and them, the brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves... And here's the kicker, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And it even gets a little worse when Joseph does reveal himself and, and they come to live in Egypt and they're going to be presented to Pharaoh. Joseph tells his brothers, when Pharaoh asks what you do, tell them you are shepherds. And in chapter 46, verse 34, it tells us, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And you think, what are you doing, Jacob? You're taking these two boys who, they have everything. Their dad is super powerful. They're super popular. They are royalty. And you're adopting them into being an abomination? This is not how the story's supposed to go. I, I've never, never seen somebody say, yeah, I was born into power and riches, but by hard work, I became an abomination. It's the opposite of that. Jacob, what are you doing? What are you thinking? The irony in all of this is that with his dim eyes physically, he has really, really never seen more clearly than he is seeing right now. Because all that the world has to offer is nothing compared to what God has to offer. And Jacob is all in. He is walking by faith, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Walking by faith, not by sight. I love how Matthew Henry puts it. Uh, Matthew Henry said, as if, it's as if jo uh, Jacob had said, let them not succeed their father in his power and grandeur here in Egypt, but let them succeed me in the inheritance of the promise made to Abraham, which Jacob looked upon as much more valuable and honorable and would have them prize and covet accordingly. We think about the Jacob of old and how he was always competing with his brother Esau. You would just imagine uh, the Jacob of old, if, if this were the case, there's, there's Joseph and his son and his grandsons that are royalty, that, that Jacob would have called Esau 
and, and said, hey, hey Esau, my son is second in charge of Egypt, most powerful nation in the world, and, and my grandsons are royalty. By the way, how are your grandsons doing? How, how are the sheep that they are taking care of? How are they doing? Just poke at him. Look, look what I have. I have everything, and so do my children and grandchildren. But now, now Jacob sees that there is nothing more precious than the God who has been his shepherd and the God who has redeemed him. A little bit later on in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer actually is speaking about Moses. And in verse 36 mentions that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And we can say that about Jacob right here. His Redeemer is far more precious than all the, the treasures of Egypt. Paul uh, picks up on this same idea in Galatians uh, chapter 6. Paul writes, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The things of the world don't matter but I will boast in the cross. And in Paul's day, and actually for uh, many, many years, thousands of years, that cross was despised. Despicable cross. But Paul said, that's, that's where I will boast because that's where I've been redeemed. That's where the debt for my sin has been paid. By my Redeemer who died on that cross and I'll give up the whole world and hang on to that. And when we consider what Jacob is doing with his grandsons here, we can see why the writer of Hebrews mentions this as a show of incredible faith. Jacob knew that the riches of the world were right there at his feet for him and for his family. And it's not even a matter of what's right or wrong. They had acquired everything legally. It wasn't what's right or wrong, but it's what do I treasure? And he chooses God's promises. Though they may seem far off in time, as I mentioned, Ephraim's not going to become more powerful for hundreds of years. And even in distance, he mentions to Joseph this, this mountain. I, I have this slope that I got for you, and it's, it's in the promised land. But there it is. It seems far off in time and distance, but he has this faith. May our faith be this strong. May we reflect on God's blessings that we've received throughout our lives. And may we see beyond anything this world has to offer and have that kind of faith that Jacob had, that we would be strong enough to be willing to forsake it all and grab on to our shepherd and our Redeemer and glorify him 
And in these next couple of weeks, in whatever form they take, if we can get together, however uh, this works out, we have this opportunity to celebrate our Redeemer. Palm Sunday next week, Easter following that, where we can glorify God. We can remember what He's done, our Shepherd and our Redeemer. And we can take some of this extra time that many of us have on our hands now and commit ourselves to him. This world offers nothing in comparison to what Christ offers to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you give us this show of faith in your word that we can see this man who is willing to give it all up and hang on to your promise. We thank you for being a God who has made us promises, a God who always keeps his promises, a God who is our shepherd, and a God who is our redeemer. Christ going to the cross, dying for our sins, that we may be redeemed, that we may be adopted into your family, not as an abomination to you, but as your children, your blessed and holy and righteous children by the blood of Christ. We thank you for that. And we ask that in these next couple of weeks as we celebrate Christ and everything he did for our salvation, that you will continue to work your faith in our hearts, that we may grow stronger and deeper in you each and every day. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do thank you for joining me this morning. I ask that you continue to pray for all of our health care workers and our leaders and just everybody that we can remain safe. Uh, and I do ask that you will uh, continue to, to be safe uh, as you go out and uh, do those things uh, that you do this coming week. We'll be back next week uh, in this same form, and I look, to, uh, I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you.